This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, Susan chose Little Miss Sunshine. And this one's a hard one to intro, so we'll just get right to it. Welcome to another episode of Honey, You Should Watch This. I believe this is episode 36. Sounds right. Yeah. We've come this far. It's been a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) Taken forever. It's a podcast that will last a lunchtime. A lunchtime? Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Uh, Yeah, pay. Welcome, welcome uh, oh, to the all right, jackass all cat right. on the it, table we're already. We're already into a cat jumping in. up on the table, yes. Oh my God. Can we get a dog? No. Can we get two dogs? No. Can we get no cats? No. <sighs> Sorry. It's all right. Anyway. I mean, I kind of like them. <laughs> kind of like them. <laughs> like when it's not 2 a.m. and you're standing on my head. Yeah. Uh, then you're pretty cool. Like when I walk in the door and they just walk away from me and leave me alone, I love them. You lo- <laughs> They're amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, good to know. Good to know. So how you been doing? Oh, you know. It's it's a it's age of wonderment. An age of wonderment. Yes. 2020 has everything, been a hell of a ride. Everything that happens every day is just glorious and magnificent. <laughs> Because if you don't think that way, you've probably already slit your wrists at this point. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, you're you're you've got football back, right? So you're I was okay just with about that. To say life is significantly better now that I have football. Yeah, the boys are back, so we've been watching that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Our boys are back. What? The boys. Oh, the boys. The boys. Amazon's yeah. the boys. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what we're into episode three, and it's rough, man. Oh, five? Yeah, we've, we've, we're, we have five left. We have five left. Oh, one, okay. It's the, only one, oh, it's the only one available right now that we haven't watched because they're okay. releasing them on a weekly basis. Bastards. Yeah. This Bastards. is rough. It's a, I mean, I thought last season was rough, but this is rough. Rough, rough, rough. Yeah. Rough. See? Let's get a dog. <laughs> no. <laughs> I like dogs, but... You're running around, you're running around making doggy noises. <laughs> Well, I'm only sorry. To, only supposed to do that in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. You have a question for me about Little Miss Sunshine? Uh, yeah. Uh, when did this movie come out? I think 2006. I know, I know that. God. <laughs> All right. Don't fine. trust me. What road was it filmed on? Uh, the Carefree Highway? Yeah. Uh, why did you pick this movie? I picked this movie. Um, well, I had this movie on my list initially for this podcast because it's a good movie. Um, I mean, okay. uh, long we'll, story we'll, short, we'll get into it. It's a good movie. We'll get into it. Um, we'll see. And we'll see if it's a good movie. You know, we had just done Peter, Peter. All right. Peter Griffin. Yeah. Sorry. Let me take another sip of coffee. Maybe my mouth will work. We had just done the peanut butter Falcon and it, 
to me, it reminded me a lot of this movie as far as um, that kind of oddball series of events, but also kind of a heartwarming family, a family betterment film. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can, I can see that correlation. There's a, I mean, there was, there was the trip and, you know, self-realization and all that. Happiness, yeah. So. Yeah. There, there was a, there was a journey to be had and, yeah. and all that. So I figured that it would be a nice segue from one to you know, they the other. They stopped making those. Did they? Yeah. They're not making those anymore. I did not know that. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Learn something new every day. <laughs> Tune in next week where we'll talk about how they don't make, you know, I don't know, something Twinkie. that they uh, don't make Did anymore. they make Twinkies still? Uh, I thought they stopped. You know, they, and then no, they... they do. They do, but they're not made. They're not made by Hostess anymore. Yeah. It's, was it Tasty Cake or something? Bought the recipe from Hostess when Hostess went out of business. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Wow. Yay! Sunday. <laughs> 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 Let's talk about everything and nothing. Okay. Um, except the movie. Okay. Um, hmm. Anyway, uh, would you like me to kind of jump into the summary? Of yes, the I plot? would, please. Uh, okay. Thank you. So in this film, we meet the Hoover family. Um, there is the head of the Hoover family, excuse me, uh, Richard Hoover, who is a want-to-be motivational speaker. Um, and he views losers as disgusting despite failing to support his family and getting to where he wants to be as a motivational speaker. There's um, a lot of heavy-handedness in that direction in this movie. Yes. Like, like I can't believe that you're a loser. Hey, can I borrow 20 bucks to feed my family? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's a lot of that. Yes. And, and, it's, and it's well done. Yeah. And then there's Cheryl Hoover, and she's stressed out because she's trying, she's the one um, upon which a lot of the pressure falls to hold her family together. Um, there is her brother, Uncle Frank. Um, he is a, a Prouse scholar who recently attempted suicide, which was prompted by um, losing his student slash boyfriend uh, and his genius grant to a rival, the second most prominent Prouse scholar in the United States. There is Edwin Hoover, who is grandpa, and he was kicked out of his retired retirement home for romancing the ladies. And snorting heroin. Yeah, that was the key right there. <laughs> there is Dwayne Hoover, who is a 16-year-old angsty teen who is uh, obsessed with uh, Nietzsche. And I don't know if I pronounced that right. Nietzsche. 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 The, the guy. Yeah. yeah Philosopher. Um, and he has taken a vow of silence until he becomes an Air Force pilot and he hates his family. Uh, and then there is, lastly, a seven-year-old Olive Hoover who is oblivious to her dysfunctional family, extremely innocent, and she is bespectable. I've, I've heard her or uh, read that they have kind of, when people describe her, they describe her as chubby and bespectacled. Um, okay. Uh, but uh, she aspires to be a beauty queen. Fair enough. All right, so... Our action kicks off when we, uh, when Olive learns that uh, 
when she came in second at a beauty pageant um, that the winner has been disqualified from the Little Miss Sunshine beauty pageant regionals. Something about lesbian pictures and Hustler or something like that? No, no. I think it was something like (laughs) fake something. Um, (laughs) Fake lesbian pictures and Hustler. (laughs) (laughs) No, these are just kids. So stop, stop, stop. Um, But she learns she's qualified for the Little Miss Sunshine beauty pageant in Redondo Beach, Florida, uh, California. Um, and they have two days to get there. Um, so her parents and grandpa want to support her and Frank and Dwayne cannot be left alone. So the whole family heads to Redondo Beach in a little yellow Volkswagen van. Uh, family tensions play out along the way amidst the aging van's mechanical problems. Uh, when the van breaks down early on, the family learns that they have to push the van until it's moving about 20 miles an hour. Uh, before they can put it into gear, at which point they have to run up to the side door and jump in. Uh, the van's horn starts honking unceasingly by itself. Um, and uh, other odd things happen. Uh, throughout the trip, the family suffers numerous setbacks um, and discover their need uh, for each other's support. Richard loses an important contact that would have jump-started his motivational speaking career. Uh, Frank encounters an ex-boy, the, his ex-boyfriend um, who left him, um, and Edwin dies from a heroin overdose, and it they, results in the family uh, smuggling uh, the body out of the hospital and nearly uh, having it discovered by the police. Uh, during their final leg of the trip, Dwayne discovers that he is colorblind, which means he cannot become um, an Air Force pilot. Uh, which was his goal um, and prompts him to break his silence and shout his anger and disdain for the family. Um, once they finally do get to the pageant, uh, Olive, uh, when Olive is preparing, the family sees Olive's competition, slim, hypersexualized preteen girls with teased hair, capped teeth, and performing highly elaborate dance numbers with great panache. Uh, it becomes apparent that Olive is an amateur by comparison. Um, and then we get to the talent portion of the competition. Um, Olive's dance routine, which was choreographed, um, and coached by grandpa puts the hypersexualization of the girls in its truest light when it's revealed that Ed, uh, grandpa Ed, uh, coached Olive to do a strip tease to super freak. It was amazing. Um, this scandalizes and horrifies most of the audience. Um, and the organizers demand that all be removed from the fi- stage, to which the family says, hooey to that and hooey to social convention. And they get on the stage with Olive and shake their hands in the air like they just don't care. Um, One of them cared. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, anyway, um, so... That is, you know, and so they they don't get arrested for, you know, causing the ruckus that they do. And they are allowed to leave as long as they promise never to put Olive in a beauty pageant in the state of California again. So that is the story of Little Miss Sunshine. The movie stars Greg Kinnear as uh, Papa Richard Hoover, um, Steve Carell as Frank Ginsburg, Tony Collette as Cheryl Hoover, Paul Dano as Dwayne Hoover. Abigail Bresnan as Olive, Alan Arkin as Grandpa Edwin, um, and it has um, a small part um, by a, a little-known actor called Brian Cranston mm-hmm. as uh, Stan Grossman, who's Frank's uh, contact and 
when he's trying to become, get a book deal for his yep. motivational speaking and the, thing. And the police officer, the motorcycle cop. Mm-hmm. Is, is, be- yep. He's the guy that was in uh, Breaking Bad. He was with, the brother-in-law, right? Yeah, Michael Cranston. Yeah, yeah, there's another person that was, I th- think, in either Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul that was the also police, in there. The police officer at the end that yep. says you can go. Mm-hmm. He was a police officer in Better Call Saul. Yeah. yeah, and the family is from Albuquerque, New Mexico, so yeah. that's another Breaking Bad is, tie-in. Yeah. So, yeah. Little, little known prequel, yeah, I guess. Basically, uh, who I knows? Guess, yeah. All right. All right. So... What did you think this movie was going to? I know you've seen, you saw um, part of the end at one point. Um, you you mentioned that when, when we brought this up. Yes. Um, but what did you think this movie was going to be? I wasn't about? quite sure. I knew that it was about like a dysfunctional family, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I mean, I just figured it was a road trip movie. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, that's it. Yeah. So this was. Um, yeah, obviously it was a. I don't want to call it an art house film because I really it's it's an independent film. Yeah, definitely independent film. Um, it was a the directorial film, uh, the film directorial debut, um, from the for the husband and wife team of Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, mm-hmm. um, who, um, before that they had been doing music videos. Um, and it's also um the first um film for screenwriter Michael Arndt. Um, he went on to do Toy Story 3, Inside Out, and Star Wars The Forks Awakens. All right. All right. Wow. Yeah. So this film is essentially, if we talk about this, this is like exploring the concept of winners and losers. Right? And it comes to the conclusion that we need to make our own judgments on what that means um, versus what society dictates. Okay. That's that's really what this film is in a nutshell. Now, Michael Arndt um, was inspired to, to write the screenplay um, when he was struck by a speech that Arnold Schwarzenegger gave to a bunch of high school students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Arnold said he hated losers. Yeah. If there's one thing in this world that I hate, it's losers. I despise them. And Arndt felt that he thought there was something so wrong with that attitude, right? There's something demeaning and insulting about referring to any person, other person as a loser. And I wanted to attack that idea that in life you're either going up or you're going down. Okay. Right. So it's reductive. Okay. I mean, I I understand where Arnold's coming from. Mm -hmm. I think Michael Arndt might've misinterpreted that comment. I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger is the type of person that, you know, runs around being a bully. You've seen him do things and stand up for people that were making fun of other people. Right. I think his point was exactly what Arndt said in the movie uh, when it came to who was it that was talking about it? Uh, damn, like there was a scene where they were they were talking about the fact that you know a loser basically is just someone who's given up. That's that. oh, when Grandpa says that, to Olive that a, right. a loser is someone who's so afraid of not winning that they don't try. They don't try. That's right. That, I think There's, that's what Schwarzenegger means. 
Um, yeah, but when you say it that way, especially in front of teenagers who it's Schwarzenegger, we're, we're not. Gonna, yeah, I know. We're, we're not going to. I know that, but but let's 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 look at. No, you, you lay, know, To already, be fair to the screenwriter, you have already kicked the shit out of twins. There will be no more Arnold <laughs> bashing on this podcast. <laughs> no, I'm not bashing Arnold. I'm just saying in in general. There's a better way to say. Yeah. It. Well, first you have teenagers who don't have the benefit of. Of hindsight, um, or to be able to to kind of look at things within, you know, the varying shades of gray that they are. When you have someone who is supposedly a role model being reductive, you're you know, <laughs> if you're not first, you're last, kind of thing, right? Well, that's not true. You can be second, third. <laughs> Hell, you can even be fourth. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I was high on peyote when I said that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it can be. It can be damaging. Right, and mm-hmm. that's I think that's what he was trying to say. Okay. All right, moving on. No. <laughs> no, you don't want to move on? Okay, moving on. <laughs> we can talk about this. I don't care. Um. So overall, um, what did you think about this movie? What was your... I liked it. This is a really good movie. This, yeah. was, this is a really good movie. Um, and it, it's... Uh, Pet, pedigree is not the word I'm looking for. The I mean, the results of this movie, box office results, uh, Academy Award results, show that this was, it's... Right. I mean, this is like, I, I know I, lots of times I talk to people, you know, you talk about like a perfect movie. I, this is close. I think Th- so. This yeah. Is, there's, I, I'm, I mean, there's I really agree. nothing wrong with this movie. Even, even the stuff that it kind of misses, it still kind of nails. Right, which is a weird thing to say, but you, they're, they're the, even the cringeworthy moments of this movie. You're like, oh wow, they, they, well, they, they, they nailed, they got it right. Yeah, I, and it's I think between the the script and the directors, um, it's it, it is amazingly, um, I think, very efficient storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, the little vignettes uh, in the beginning of the film that kind of introduce the characters, sometimes wordlessly. Um, brings across who you're dealing with mm-hmm. um and then you have this uh, you know before you even get to the road trip part you've got this 20 minute dinner sequence that sets up the tensions so fucking awkward oh yeah so awkward and funny though oh, so yeah. funny um but and it, it sets up the premise yeah it does but you're like you're that whole meal you're like i don't understand you know, you're watching it, and and you eventually understand it. But you're like, why? He's a he's a winner, and it's a, and you knew he was a motivational speaker. But then he's saying these things at the table, and then you're, you know what I mean? You're just right. Like, his wife is obviously not happy with him. Even I just, it was really. There are several scenes like that where he starts talking, and the rest of the family's like, uh, uh, "Don't hey. listen to him." Kind of, you know, they don't so much to say that, but they they I think do. There's, I think there's a scene after Frank starts talking where he literally says, "Here we go again." <laughs> Doesn't he say something like that? If I remember correctly, yeah. Oh yeah, um, and I love how nothing is wasted in this film. You've got um, you get a lot of mileage of when they're when they stop at this gas station, and Frank doesn't want to see this whole thing go down between um, Cheryl and Frank because Frank gets finally gets this guy on the phone um, yeah, that would- he's been. Knew immediately that he did not get the deal. Yeah, yeah, he knew immediately, and Frank's like, "Okay, I need to get kind of get out of here." So he says to Edwin, "I'm going to go get a drink. You want something?" And Edwin goes, "Yeah, get me some nudie magazine, some really raunchy, you know what I mean?" Because he's being, he's being Grandpa Edwin. 
Um, so he goes and gets this nudie magazine and we get a lot of mileage out of these freaking magazines. Not only do you get the awkwardness of him running into his ex-boyfriend while he's buying these magazines, <laughs> um, but later on you get um, the fact that when they get pulled over and they have grandpa's corpse in the car, it's not that that, that the the police officer sees, he sees the magazines, right? The magazines fall out and he's like, oh, you know, and it completely distracts him. I think it's great. Um, the same thing too is when they're in the hospital after um, a grandpa overdoses and they're sitting in the waiting room, Olive gets, keeps asking people if they want an eye exam. She's got this eye exam literature and it comes into play later on when we find out that Dwayne is colorblind. So it's it's got these little moments that could mean nothing that mean everything. Yep. And um, it's great. I, I think it's it's just done very, very well. I agree. Okay. I agree. Um, what did this film make you think of as far as other films were concerned? What? If if you had to pick some movies that had influence on this movie, what would you Oh, uh, what did the what did it remind you of any other movies that you've seen? National Lampoon's Animal House. Animal House. Yeah. Um Rocky 3. <laughs> um <laughs> Deep throat. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I mean, I mean, there's lots of movies that have involved a, a road trip, but there's a lot, probably a lot of them that I haven't seen. Um, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I. I don't think okay. I can f- put anything in that category for you. Well, one of the things, um, uh, Paul Dano, who played Dwayne, reminded me a lot Dwayne. of of Harold and Maude. Okay. Right. Um, and I think that there was a lot of influences of like 70s films on this because it had that feel. You had the VW bus. And if you looked at the Hoover's home, it was very 70s as far as the de- decorations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that was that. But also Jonathan Dayton, who is the co-director, he jokes that Little Miss Sunshine is the thinking man's National Lampoon's vacation. Okay. I can see that. Right. You have a dead... I don't know. I mean, National Lampoon's <laughs> he, vacation he got was a... pretty cerebral. <laughs> you had to be on it. And I mean, like I, I use my encyclopedia to interpret a lot of stuff that happened on vacation <laughs> the first time I saw it. Like the scene where they wrecked the car and she goes, I think I got my period. I had to look that up. Well, I mean, you've got <laughs> in National Lampoon's, because that's the one thing that remi- it reminded me of right away, because once they put grandpa in the car, it was like, was it Aunt Ruthie or something like that. They had the yeah. strap on the top of the, the station. Wagon. Yeah, they had to. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember her name. Yeah, it's been a while, but yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah. I mean, I can see that. All right. I just thought I'd bring. No, I, 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 I hadn't even, I hadn't right. even thought about that. I had not put those two together. But sure. Okay. Good job. Thank you. Congratulations. You get a cookie. I get a cookie. Yeah. Go get us some cookies. <laughs> I gotta go make cookies. <laughs> All right, so this I think this is um this is kind of two different stories. I mean, everybody kind of has their own arc. I think the only ones that really don't change too much as far as characters um are mom Cheryl, right? She kind of stays pretty much the same throughout. Yeah. Um maybe maybe a tad bit less stressed out at the end. Uh and grandpa. Grandpa remains I don't think grandpa. Violet changes that much, does she? Olive? Olive. Why do I 
But wow. this, but her story is the one that kind of drives us forward, right? She is, um, she wants to do this beauty pageant, and she seems like she's got such an innocence about her that you know she knows, you know she you you see her in the beginning watching these beauty pageants and mimicking the winners and and things like that, and this is what she really really wants. But there's almost no self awareness as to what you know one of these things is not like the other kind of thing like how right you know how am i going to stack up she doesn't even question that you know maybe until the end maybe you know frank's frank gets into her head a little bit because of not frank um her dad um what's his name i have to go back because i keep i i'm looking at frank all over my notes here Frank was uh, uh, Richard. Steve Carell. Yeah, yeah, Frank was Steve Carell. Um, so her dad, Richard, kind of gets into her head a little bit, right? Because he's trying to... I think he's, he's coming from a... I don't think he's being mean. He's just coming from a place of, of concern. Mm-hmm. Like when she orders the waffles with the ice cream and she's, he starts going, well, you know, you see these people in these beauty pageants. Are they fat or are they skinny? You know, do you think that they eat ice cream? And, and you know, trying to help her make a decision that would help her get toward her goal. But being seven years old, that's, you know, what's that going to do to somebody's frame of mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, well, you know, he should have been smart enough too to right. understand that she's not a beauty queen, even though mm-hmm. she's adorable. Mm-hmm. She's, she's just not, I mean, they show you at the end of the movie, the life of, and what those kids look like. They're not, right. they're not kids. They're little dolls that their mothers are manipulating, but he, yep. he should have been a smart enough and adult enough to say, you know what? She's probably not going to win anyway. She's just having fun. Who cares? Have some ice cream. Jesus, you're seven. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But he is so obsessed. And I, I think the thing is too, is, is when you, when you think about, um, Richard's problem, right. Which is, he wants to, he's got his nine-step system for being a winner or whatever the heck it's called. And he wants, he's trying to market it. And he wants to have, to have a book. And he wants to, you know, be one of these huge motivational speakers. And the problem which the Brian Cranston character tells him point blank is nobody knows who you are, yep. right? How are you supposed to uh, be a person that tells everybody else what it is to, to, to win if you... If if you haven't achieved anything, exactly. which is you know which is his issue, and I think between Olive and Dwayne, he's maybe holding out hope, right? That one of them, you know, because he even says it when when they're at the dinner table, and Frank is somewhat confused over um, Dwayne's decision his vow of silence you know that he is not going to speak until he gets to his goal of becoming an air force pilot um which i don't know how he's going to do the recruitment interview but you know anyway um but he and and, uh richard starts saying at the dinner table well he's using my principles right and so he's i make these holding out for somebody to reach something so he can actually you know have say a, this is what i had uh, this person uses those principles ex- and he's an air force pilot exactly yeah. exactly and so i think that's probably what is kind of keeping him thinking well she wants to win it and she's got the mind frame to win it and she's decided she's going to win so she's going to win right instead of 
you know, being, being a like, father, right? Being a father yeah. and 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 being um, realistic about it, right? If she wants to go and she wants to have, and this is something she wants to do, and she wants to have fun and she wants to learn from it, right? Because anybody that you talk to who has been successful, it never comes right out of the gate, right? You you have to fail a lot. That's how you learn. Um, so I, you know, I think that's, you know, something that we see. Um, I think the fact too, and this is hysterical is when, um, when Richard is sitting in the audience, there's a sequence of him as they're going through all these, whatever the competitions of the swimsuit and the the, the the talent talent and the the stuff like that. And you see Frank, sitting in the audience throughout this kind of segment and then they're going between all these different things and his face continually changes like he's in there and he's kind of smiling and he's trying to be positive and and then he's his face just goes from like what am i watching what is this this yeah is, that's what i said yeah. the second it started <laughs> no not the movie the the, the, the talent beauty, yeah the, i mean it's just yeah well um, you know because of the whole the whole honey boo boo thing when it blew up mm-hmm. and you oh the, toddlers and tiaras yeah, yeah. all, all, all yeah. of that all of that garbage that's just that's absolutely ridiculous there is no need there is no need for five-year-olds <laughs> and six-year-olds to be in beauty pageants it's absolute it's absolute garbage yeah in my personal opinion and the the way that they had they, they portrayed them there you were i i agree with him he was re, he realized wow maybe maybe i shouldn't be pushing yeah. her to do right this, this or, isn't uh yeah. yeah this isn't and and then you have, you know, Cheryl, who is kind of like supportive of her kids and doing her best to be supportive of her kids and supportive of her family. But in some way, I think she's kind of lost who she is. Right. And she doesn't think critically either about what this means. Right. right? Um, is that good or bad? Um, so it's, you know, you've got these these poor kids kind of left to their own devices as well yeah. right so there's there's some kind of middle ground that's that's missing there i don't uh i don't understand the vow of silence um i think that's a nietzsche I, i'm gonna pronounce that wrong the whole time just so say frederick. apologies just say frederick frederick Nietzsche. okay nietzsche. i mean nietzsche. i i don't nietzsche. i don't i didn't understand that um uh, something else i did not catch and i didn't realize it until i was doing the the research on the movie mm-hmm. that uh Dwayne is not richard's son no, because Cheryl was divorced. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. So I was wondering when he went into his tirade and he was like, losers, you know, divorced, bankrupt. Yeah. I didn't, I was like, what? Wait, where's the divorce come from? All right, we'll let it go. I didn't, I didn't catch yeah. that. So, yeah, Olive is, is, is Richard and Cheryl's daughter, but Dwayne is, is Cheryl's son. Right. Um, the thing with Frank and Dwayne is Frank and Dwayne are kind of our commentary, right? We, we, the movie, um, shows people doing things, but it kind of starts with Frank while he's in the, the hospital waiting for Cheryl to pick him up. Um, but Frank and Dwayne have, I, I want to, I was going to say competing philosophies, like they represent competing philosophies, but they're almost aligned, right? Because Frank is a proud scholar. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right either. So forgive me if I don't. Um, and then Dwayne is Nietzsche. 
Um, and the two of them are kind of, you know, commentaries on the rest of the action, right? So um, I can kind of, I'll probably get into that maybe after the break because there was an article that I found that kind of pulled out their different philosophies of um, what they are seeing as far as what Frank represents. And Frank represents kind of that winner's loser's philosophy as dictated by society where um, Proust and, and Nietzsche were kind of like, screw that, <laughs> you know, they were looking at that society is, uh, is subjective, you know, they're what society thinks is subjective, and it really needs to be your own personal, you know, tear it down, build it back up. Yeah. Um, so that's what they're kind of role is in this um, but they're they're both kind of feeling their way too because they've both kind of been kicked you know and 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 Dwayne's um, thought about what Nietzsche is which most people think too is you know nihilism means I hate everybody and I want everything destroyed um, which is only you know part of that philosophy as far is ha it is nihilism but it's also building stuff back up again once you've torn it down um so that's kind of interesting when you kind of get beyond the surface of what this film is but they are kind of both kind of looking at what's going on and being able to comment on it and then frank's able to kind of help Dwayne form his outlook on life um a little later on in the film after he finds out that he's colorblind and, and kind of helping him through that pain and, right. and disillusionment. So it's good. I mean, those are, they were, they're probably the most interesting characters of the film. Frank and Dwayne. Okay. No, you don't think so? I, 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 I think they're, they're definitely the ones that you know the least about. I think. Okay. I mean, you don't get a whole lot of backstory on Frank. Yeah. He lost his job, his boyfriend, tried to kill himself. That's kind of it. You know what right. I mean? Um, you, I mean, you knew everything about Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grandpa's already you out know. there, right? Um, <laughs> you don't even, I mean, you don't really know what um, uh, the mom does for a living, but obviously she's the one that's making the money and paying for everything. So yeah. she's in some kind of service career because she had a name tag. Mm. Maybe she works at the at the fried chicken place. <laughs> Can <laughs> we get something other than fucking fried chicken? <laughs> and I think you know who of, complains about getting to eat fried chicken every night. <laughs> of the characters, I think I probably felt the most for Cheryl because yeah. she's just this ball of tension and she's trying. Struggling, to, yeah, yeah, she's she's really struggling to to kind of keep it together and a little. Little, um, I think underappreciated as well. So, oh, I'm sure, yeah, because Frank did not, or not Frank, uh, Richard did not seem like the type of guy who was about helping and all that. He, the one, he, I don't know, he was, <laughs> he was, he was, he was odd. I mean, I, I can see what you're saying about Dwayne and Frank because they, they, I think they probably changed the most mm -hmm. throughout the film like you weren't worried at the end of the movie that Frank was going to kill himself again you know what I mean and Dwayne was actually going to be able to order his own dinner mm -hmm. so you know, no. <laughs> without a notebook yeah, and pen without a notebook and pen so yeah. <laughs> and yet and yet there were certain times in the movie that even though you knew that they were 
weird and and odd or whatever they would do the things that would show you what a good person they were like when the after edwin died Mm -hmm. uh he wrote on the paper to olive hug give mom mom. Yeah, yeah hug mom so yeah, and I th- well, I think that that's it too. It's like you from it's on its basis level. Even though this family is very messed up, there's love there, right? Because Dwayne has his little freak out um, and yells at everybody when he when he finds out that uh, he's colorblind, and that's going to ultimately ruin the chances for the career that he wants. That everybody is kind of. I don't know what to do here. And it's Olive that comes out and all she does is sit next to him and put her head on his shoulder and she doesn't say anything to him. And like two seconds later, he's like, okay, let's go. Um, So you've got that. Or when they mistakenly leave Olive at the gas station and Dwayne's the only one that realizes that she's not in the van. (laughs) So it's, you know, it's got those little moments where you're like, okay, they, they truly do care about each other. Grandpa adores Olive and, and you know, is, is very supportive of her. And, and he's, you know, kind of given her that screw him attitude, right? Do what you want to do. Um, even though he's a horrible role model for doing heroin. Well, you got to have some fun in life at that point, I guess, huh? <laughs> it took his women away from him. <laughs> well that's kind of what he says don't do it when you're young but okay do it when you're old i don't know how <laughs> don't know, okay since, since we're not there yet yeah, yeah I, I guess we'll figure it out in 15, true. 15 minutes or so true 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 okay so i think I, it's it's again it's again you've got dysfunction functional family but you've got the warm fuzzies from this, this base level of love beneath all the dysfunction which is probably what he was trying to show that yeah. even though you can be screwed up you can still you know be a good nice person mm. and and how shitty uh kid talent shows are or beauty pageants i think that was that was well, why he wrote this yeah with, i think, you I think, think. <laughs> well it's funny i think they use the beauty um the beauty pageants as this kind of you know because this is like a a microcosm, right? That's just a society in itself, right? Yep. They have their own values and they have their own, you know, w- what they are judging these kids on are, are so superficial as far as beauty is concerned. It's not even natural beauty at this point because they have the kid, you know, they, they put fake tans on the kids and they put makeup on the kids and, um, I, this is going to be. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna kind of glaze over what this controversial part is. I don't know if you've heard about this whole Netflix thing lately with with that, the movie Cuties. Yeah, I haven't watched the movie yet. Um, I have, you know, watched the trailer and I've listened to um, the interview with the director writer um, who. Um, it's kind of her kind of coming of age story, right? Um, but her point in doing this whole movie is to show that we are exposing young children to this type of hypersexualization, which they will mimic um, if they don't have the right kind of guidance. Yeah. And a lot of people are freaking out about it because they're saying the movie in and of itself is exploiting these children. And um, so 
you know, I, doing a little bit of research on it um, and listening to different sides of things. There was this one uh, guy who did a video saying, you think this is bad. He started showing the, these clips from toddlers and tiaras. And one of the mothers um, for, I don't, and it wasn't, I don't, it wasn't, it wasn't a talent portion. It was something where they had to kind of dress up. It was kind of like a free form thing. So she dresses her daughter up like Dolly Parton for these, this portion of the competition, complete with fake boobs. Nice. This is like a four-year-old child. Nice. Um, ridiculously crazy. I mean, just insane. Who thinks that would be appropriate? You know, it's, it's crazy. Um, so this is, a, this is kind of the society that you've kind of put the Hoovers in, right? And so it's supposed to reflect like how insane it is for you to compare your life against what society's saying is, is success and failure. And um, it just, it just takes it to this inane level of, you know, what are we doing to these kids? And, it, well, they're 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 a joke. I mean, it yeah. really is. We, there's no reason that you should have a five year old or a seven year old do anything like that, and it, and that's how you end up with like Cardi B, uh, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And and you know, remember remember when uh, you used to have people that you didn't mind your kids, you know, wanting to aspire to be. But I think that he picked that because it is so ridiculous and ludicrous. Mm-hmm. It helped Richard understand how ridiculous and ludicrous he is with his nine step plan. Yeah. He was like, Oh, this is, you're going to, this is, and then he's sitting there going, wait a minute, this is what I've been preaching to my daughter about how, if you're going to do it, you're going to be a winner. And, and, and look at this, this is garbage. Garbage. Um, you know, uh, so, I mean, I think that in that aspect, it was very well thought out and very well put together. And uh, it was very well done the way they didn't, it wasn't super heavy-handed either. They didn't beat you over the head with the fact that you realize that Richard is realizing. Right. It was just kind of, it was like subtle. Like like the first clue was when he sat down and he said something to the biker guy and the biker guy had to pull the earplugs. He had to pull yeah. his earplugs out because he was tired of hearing this shit. Right. You know, he he, he was probably there to support his daughter, but he all, all, also yeah. was saying, this is garbage. Yeah, so, this is not, yeah. yeah. This and, is not exactly what you want. It's so funny, too, because the clips that I saw from this video where he was doing toddlers and tiaras, they had this one mother with her little girl. And she's like, oh, well, she's so headstrong, but it makes her blah, 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 blah. And there's one portion where she's talking to her daughter and her doctor, daughter's like, I have a secret. And she's like, what is it? I hate you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Fair. Give me my Some, go-go juice. <laughs> exactly. It is not at all wholesome as they portray these things out to be. No, it's not yeah. wholesome at all. No, not at all. All right. So this uh, could have been a, a a different looking movie as far as the cast is concerned. Because I think that everybody in that cast is amazing. Yes. They, I, I cannot see anybody else in those roles. When the movie was made, Steve Carell was not Steve Carell yet. But no. when the movie came out, Steve, he was Steve Carell. He was Steve Carell he, from the when, office. When it, yeah. when it was made, he was still the the port was the the, the correspondent correspondent on. on the Daily Show with John Stewart. When it came out, he had already put out Forty uh, Year Old Virgin, which was a massive hit, and the first year of The Office was out, and he had won an Emmy for Best Actor in a Comedy, I think. Mm-hmm. So that probably helped this movie a lot at the box office. 
His role was originally written with Bill Murray in mind. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they also considered, I think the studio was wanting um, Robin Williams. The, the and, studio was pushing Robin Williams, yes. Yeah. And um, Alan Arkin was not the first choice for Grandpa. They wanted Don- Donald Sutherland. Yeah, Alan Arkin was a, was better for that. I, I, well, it was funny because you know how we talked um, in our Hereditary episode about how Ari Aster had um, the two children um, do an acting exercise where he had to take um, the guy who played Peter, took Milne Shapiro someplace, and mm-hmm. they both had to be in character and um, buy her sweater and go to Burger King and do whatever. Yeah. Um, they did very something very similar where they put the cast in the van and had them drive around at, um, act in in their characters. And Paul Dano, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, he was on and, and they they talked about um, Little Miss Sunshine and he said that they did the same thing. They got in the, the van and as soon as they started driving away from somewhere, um, Alan Arkin started going, well, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to go to the bathroom now. You got to stop. Dad, no, we just left. We can't, we can't go. Right. Uh, we're going to go. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. When you stop at that red light, I'm just getting out. And he said that in character, Greg Kinnear ran the red light. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you know who was initially offered the role for uh, Richard and he turned it down and he regrets it? Who? Thomas Hayden Church. I could see that, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But I, you know what? Um, I, I, I think Greg, Greg Kinnear yeah. has more of that uptightness he about does. him. I, not that Thomas Hayden Church couldn't play that, but I see Thomas Hayden Church more of a. Greg Kinnear also has that softness side to him. He, he can yeah, pull, he, he can pull the pushover it off. side. Yeah. yeah, kind of. Yeah, he just. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't. I don't think you could have. You could have cast this much better than they did. Yeah, this was very, very good. And um, of course, you know, Alan Arkin is was obviously the great choice because he's the one who got the Oscar for best supporting. Yep. He. Uh, that was the same year The Departed came out. The Departed was nominated for five different Oscars. The only one it did not win was Wahlberg lost to Arkin for best supporting actor. Yeah. And you know. Um, they were amazed because he only had like 40 minutes of screen time. So it was, it was kind of an upset. Mm-hmm. I don't know, honestly, if what Arkin did warrants best supporting actor. I know that sounds stupid to say. I mean, he was really good, really good, but also, you know, I, I you know what I mean? Some, you just look at that cup of stuff and you're like, man, it was, it was good. But is that, is that Oscar? Cause you look at some of the other stuff that it was up against and, Mm. I can see why they did it because I mean he absolutely nailed it, but you know it was it appeared effortless. It really, really did. Oh well, everything he yeah. does appears effortless. He's a genius. The um and some of the some of the lines he had to say. <laughs> yeah, they actually they actually the 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 studio or the the props department actually made sure that um, Olive had headphones on. With music in it, so that she could yeah, not they, hear. They cranked she, up the Kelly Clarkson for her. She so. did not know what he said until they went to the movie premiere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. Uh, yeah, that that they definitely, and I think Alan Arkin felt like yes, definitely, because I don't want her to hear. He he adored Abigail Breslin. He All thought right. she was great. I so think everybody does. Yeah. So. 
Okay. Do you think you you be ready for a break? And then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do a break. Let's do that. And we're back. Nice break. Yeah, it was yeah. a good break. Yeah, good break. All breaks good are break. good. <laughs> okay, so I want to, I don't want to get too deeply into um, the whole uh, philosophies of both Dwayne and Frank as far as what they represent. Um, obviously, when you think of, uh, of Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche, Nietzsche, I'll say it the way that Steve Carell says it, Nietzsche. Okay. Um, in the film. Um, well, he is the best boss ever. He is the world's best greatest boss. boss. World's greatest boss. Um, so you've got nihilism, which Dwayne thinks he is representing because I hate everything and, and everyone. And he's got his Jesus was wrong t-shirt and, and all that. So that's kind of part of nihilism. Um, so it's a belief in, in extreme pessimism, uh, pessimism, radical skepticism, um, where the nihilist believes in nothing and there are no loyalties except and no purpose, right? Except to destroy. Um, so he obviously does have loyalties though. You, you see because of what we talked about as far as yeah. making sure that his family was, you know, in the car and, you know, taken care of. Um, and then there's also something about, you know, human will that um, we're exploring in that too, as far as, you know, there's a will to survive or there's the will to power, which is, you know, you giving your, your life to an ideal. Um, and then um, what he is most known for is kind of the Ubermensch, which is the superhuman, which means uh, a concept of the willingness to risk everything for the sake of enhancement of humanity. Um, so all, these are all kind of things as far as pushing against morals and values that are kind of shown in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, Marcel Proust, um, he, he was the French novelist. He is known for writing one of the world, the world's longest book. Okay. <laughs> it was a book. I had, I had no idea who this guy yeah, was. Yeah. He never heard of him. His book was published in 27 volumes. <laughs> was it Encyclopedia uh, Britannica? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and he's kind of exploring um, the meaning of life in like th three or four different ways. So at the end, when Steve Carell kind of says that this is this was this loser guy had no other, you know, no job. He just wrote and right. he wrote, you know, what people think is sometimes one of the, the greatest. But um it's it's a very long rambling exploration of of what life means. Um, so again, kind of pushing against like what does this mean? What does society want? Th those types of things. So the two of them are kind of the commentators on it. Um, when the um, the beauty pageant starts, they are the first ones to leave because <laughs> they have to get out of there. And yeah, I don't blame them. Um, they basically have this whole conversation um, in which Steve Carell kind of tells him that this is, you know, suffer suffering, which is kind of the whole thing with 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 Prowse. What Prowse 
kind of determined is that suffering makes you who you are. Right. Right. If you don't have it, and even Steve Carell says, so all those years that I, you know, the years that I were happy, was happy was a waste, but the years I spent suffering are, are what made me me kind of a philosophy. Right. So, um, you know, he kind of <laughs> tells Dwayne kind of take it on the chin. You've got your best years of suffering ahead of you and you're going to figure it out. And, you know, the Ubermensch that we mentioned before is kind of reflected in um, Dwayne saying, you know, screw it. If I, if I want to fly, I'll find a way to fly. Yep. And I'll, you know, do what you love and fuck the rest kind of a, a thing. So that's, much. Um, that's kind of how they kind of reflect what this movie is, is supposed to uh, be about as well. Right. Mm-hmm. You'll find a way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's good. Um, the, that scene there on a pier in the movie. Yeah. That's not how originally it was tended to go down. They shot it another way. Okay. The two of them were on surfboards in the water. And it was such a pain in the butt, they were saying, to do this. Because not only were they out in the water and you were you you got the, the sounds of the water um, lapping up against the, the surfboard that were, was distracting, but they were also kind, trying to keep the boards together mm-hmm. to the point where they the two of them ended up kind of holding hands and they had somebody in the background you could see. Um, if, I'll... I'll I'll post the link to the video where they're talking about this, where the, where the director, one of the directors is talking about this. They had, you even saw somebody in the background trying to hold the boards together. Um, not only that, um, there was like a kid's like day that was happening on the beach. So you just, all you heard was screams from the beach <laughs> while they were trying to film this. So they finally said, maybe this isn't the way this should be when they watched the dailies on it. So they had to redo it. They ref- I guess they refilmed the uh, final scene too. There were a couple alternate endings. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they they actually I guess they finished they started filming they said in like March or April or something and they actually went back and filmed the final in uh, in September in December. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the dates are wrong, but they filmed it um, four days before it debuted at Cannes. Oh, or really? At Sundance. Yeah. So. That was not. I'd like to know what the difference was that they felt they had to change it, but I think they nailed it. The um, the alternate ending had them coming out of the the Redondo Suites. Um, one one of the alternate endings was they were coming out and they had stolen one of the crowns. Oh, nice. The other alternate ending was they stole the crown and one of the trophies. Gotcha. And they were kind of coming out of it, and they're going, oh, we're such losers, you know? <laughs> All right. Good enough. Yeah. I like it. So that was that was the alternate ending. Okay. I liked... One of the things that I liked about this movie that you, you don't catch until you think about it, there was nothing but adversity in this whole movie, right? Mm-hmm. It starts off with Grandpa complaining about how we're having fried chicken again, which, mm-hmm. I mean, come on, Grandpa, it's fried chicken, right? Um... <laughs> They they don't have any money. Everything that they do doesn't seem to work out for them. And yet you never hear any of them complain. Like when the van broke down, it was just, okay, well, we're going to push. Not a single one of them was angry that they had to push or, or pissed. That, you know what I mean? It's just like, okay, that's what we got to do. It was kind of nice to see that for a change instead of what you 
deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, it's very strange. It was almost like they, this life happened to them, and they're that was... used to being kicked in the balls, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's kind of it. Well, here we go. Hold on, let me spread them out. Oh, that was a good one. Okay, all right, let's just go ahead. Well, the only one who who you could consider maybe complaining a little bit was Frank, because every time he had to do this, he's like, "I'm the world's leading authority, leading pro scholar, and I'm you know doing this." Um, I mean, also just trying to kill himself, so I think he gets a pass. Yeah, but I also think it was kind of this very, I mean, his his reactions to things, and I could see how this was written with Bill Murray in mind, were, were very much like this matter-of-fact observational sarcasm, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, um, well... The the thing with the van is not one hundred percent accurate. Okay? okay. The first of all, you don't when you have a vehicle like that, when your clutch goes out, you don't have to have the transmission to start it. The the car he they they you can start a manual by pushing it and putting it in gear if your starter goes out, but you don't have to have the transmission to start it. That transmission actually, even if it's bad, there's a process called double clutching. Mm-hmm. That will allow you to go, you know, from first to second and third. So the clutch doesn't really go out, but I mean, it made for some very cute scenes. Yeah. So I'll allow it. And then because you have it's the already horn. Made, so it's then you like have the horn about. going off intermittently, which is just oh, that would annoy the hell out of yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> it would. But I mean, any anybody who and he probably didn't. And and yeah. You know, being who I am, I'm always pointing things out in the movies, you know, and you get mad at me for pointing out the electrical stuff. That's that's fine. You you could just pull the fuse. Right. You know, and, and the horn wouldn't work anymore. But he being what he does for a living. Yeah. You know, we always assume that people know what we know. And you're like, oh, you're a stupid bastard because you didn't know to, to, to turn that off. Well, yeah, because I don't do that for a living. So, <laughs> you know, you probably did, don't know the third form of the subjugation of the word duh. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, so but it was I I told you I said it's so it's it's amazing to watch a movie like this and it it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Because it's literally like we have A at the table, right? Mm-hmm. We have B in the in the van. Mm-hmm. C in the um in the hotel rooms and D at the at the the pageant. Right. That's it. Right. There was no Michael Bay, you know, it was just, it's just a very easy. Right. And, and you, well, you've got that kind of sideline where um, Richard decides that he's not giving up and he knows that he's not that far from where. um, Bob Gunderson or whatever his name was. What is that name from? Gunderson. Yeah, that's from a movie that I've seen a lot. I have to. I... Uh, yeah, was you have uh, Sanderson or Sanderson? Let's let's go, go quick, quick, quick. Okay, uh, Brian Cranston has Stan Grossman. So Stan Grossman, um, he you had Richard working with Stan, went to Stan Grossman and pitched him his nine steps to being an excellent something or other. Mm-hmm. Um, an excellent, excellenter. An ex, the ex, most excellent, excellenter ever. Um, so he's trying to pitch it, and of course he tells him, "Yeah, it's not, it's not going to happen. They don't know who you are. Um, this isn't going to, you know, it's, it's not sellable." So, um, p- 
part of the scene got deleted where he realizes he can't start the van by himself and he sees a bunch of kids that have scooters so he goes over to them and this is not in the film this was cut he walks up to them and says hey how would one of you boys like to make a quick 20 bucks and they're like get away from us feck nice (laughs) he's like no no not that way (laughs) so he takes that's like that's how he ends up with one of the scooters and so he's driving the scooter along the highway trying to get to this to Stan Grossman and there's a rough scene where he's got to confront him and basically telling him there's no way you're not going to do it um and you feel bad for him even though he's kind of been a jerk for most of the movie trying to hold on to his philosophy of well you got to give winning. him credit at least he's winning at least he's practicing his yeah his idea you know what i mean right I, and and i give him and i felt like that was kind of a turning point for his character too where he actually took control and said you know what i'm going to get on this moped and i'm going to go over here and i'm going to find out what's going on and, right and i you know eh, yeah uh the sanderson that was his name bob sanderson uh, Stan Grossman. Stan Grossman. I think that that is a nod, if I interpreted the the notes correctly, uh, that was the name of one of the people that wrote the screenplay for Fargo. Oh, really? I think so. Hmm. There's there's a nod there somewhere. So interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> what? I mean, heroin. <laughs> you know you know what i mean yeah that's a little that, much that, it, right right I, I mean i coke maybe of course heroin's cheaper i guess uh, maybe just oxycodones maybe may i mean i guess what he was snorting in the beginning was uh crushed up b vitamins okay yeah <laughs> you know um they had olive wear a fat suit oh really yeah they did she had she wore a padded suit because they did not want her uh, to be as cute as she actually was apparently they wanted yeah. they wanted her to have that even though she was adorable, she is adorable. She, she is adorable. Yeah. It, just the look on the thing about that made her so cute to me was just the like when she would smile, she just had that glow. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. But yeah, they had her. They had to wear a padded suit because they wanted to emphasize the fact that she really shouldn't be in beauty pageants. Not that she's not beautiful, but that's just not what beauty pageants want. Mm-hmm. And it accentuated the don't well, eat ice cream thing. You've got Honey Boo Boo though. I mean, because Honey, um, let's 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 take a look at Honey Boo Boo. She was not she's not a small girl by yeah. any means. Um, I think that if you looked at Olive and say, um, this is where I find the character of Cheryl so confusing, right? Because. There is one point where Frank says to Dwayne that your mother could have been anything she wanted to be. And Dwayne kind of writes down, well, what happened? And he said, she had you. Right? I don't remember that. Um, there was a, was was the first time the, the van broke down and they were waiting. Oh. Um, so she's, you know, a, apparently very smart. Um Maybe she's just so stressed out to the point of distraction, but you know she could have noticed and she could have made a little bit more of an attempt to do something with her hair. You know what I mean? Because you've got this beautiful hair, long hair that she has that could be combed out. Who? Uh, on Abigail. Abigail. Okay. Yeah, on Abigail Bransden, but instead they have her with the the kind of the uh, terry cloth scrunchie the entire time, right? Um, 
you could have put a little bit more makeup on her or something like that, right? But she had this the bones there that she could have looked like everybody else, but she just didn't. She does Olive's content with who Olive is. But they did that on purpose. Yeah, and they did that on purpose to kind of like, of course, of course. But I mean, the mother could have figured things out by just looking around her, but she doesn't, right? She um, And even like even everybody else, like toward the end, as they're getting to the talent portion of the, the competition, you know, even Dwayne is like, they're, this is, she's not, you know, and they're trying to get Cheryl to say, put her foot down and say, you can't do this. And she's like, she's practiced for this. Just let her go. But Cheryl was laser focused on getting her daughter what her daughter wanted, right. whether she won or not. I mean, the chances of her winning that were slim to none anyway. Right. So let her do what she wants to do. And then she can say, I did it. Right. Because, I mean, you know, everybody gets angry. I mean, we just watched the, the Stanley Cup last night and mm-hmm. our, our team lost. Right. So, every, and I'm on Facebook and all these people. Game like, one. We only lost game only one. Only game one. Yeah. Everybody, and everybody's angry. And, and I'm like, hey, don't, I mean, you're in the Stanley Cup finals. You know what I mean? Right. You, you, you're at Little Miss Sunshine. You did, so, so I lost. I, I was at Little Miss. I only finished 12th in the Olympics. Well, you piece of shit. <laughs> you were only 12th. I'm disowning you. You know what I mean? Right. They, they, right. So, but yeah, I think let that's, her, I let think her that's try. Where, right. I think that's what she was focused on. She knew. Yeah. She right. had to know because. You could see the look on her face, in my opinion, when they found out that she was in it. Right. She was just like, Jesus Christ, really? You know, you know what I mean? Right, right. She's just, well, she's like, it's one, well, it's one other thing that's falling on her shoulders. Not Frank's, or not, not, not Frank, but not Richard's. Richard's yeah. Her shoulders, right. right? So it's one more thing she's got to do to kind of carry her kids and her family along. And she's just this, it's, it's interesting. And, and I, unfortunately, um, I found it too late. I guess there is a character study online um, that focuses on her. Um, and I would have liked to read it because it's just, you f- I feel for her as a character because she's so put upon, but there's so much you don't, like you said, there's so much we don't know about Frank, right? Uh, not Frank. Uh, there's so much we don't know about Richard, right? You know that he's got this goal and this is what he wants. And you can see from his father that he, he did not get it from dad. Yeah. Right? So what's what's the, the inciting event that backs in his backstory that pushed him in that direction? Um, you don't know, you know, Cheryl's full story, right? But you see her as this kind of put upon, stressed out mother. Um and it's, you know, her mothering is kind of called into question, right? Mm-hmm. She's letting her kids do what they want to do so they can kind of become their own people. But is it, is that the right decision? Is that being a good parent to allow your daughter into something that she's just in over her head? Um, or let your son do a vow of silence at the age of 16 is, you know, would be considered a little right unconventional. So, I don't know. I just, I just think that you've got her bearing the brunt of it. So she, you really can't blame her because at some point your your focus isn't going to be where it needs to be as a parent, trying to pull everything together and being the only working adult and and all that, taking care of, not only having to be put upon by taking care of your father in law. Because your father-in-law got kicked out for something that he did, but now now she's got to worry about her brother as well. Right. So crazy. I don't 
don't like the the convenience store scene. I don't like how they had uh, Frank's boyfriend just randomly show up. Mm. I, I didn't. I didn't like that. I thought. I thought they could have done something else. Like he could have seen the article about the book mm-hmm. there or something. I thought that was just way too. Uh, that was too heavy handed for me. You, you know what I mean? He's in there. He's. He's, I know that they needed to do something to have him make a downturn because he was making an upturn there mm-hmm. because you know he was buying <laughs> the fag rag <laughs> as 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 not Edwin, only that as Edwin put it <laughs> and and he had and he had went out and he had gotten himself he's like a what did he say a blue raspberry slushy yep and um and you turn around and here's this guy that you know there's no way that they would have those people would not have stopped at that convenience store I just I just <laughs> it was a little it was a little I, I, you know what I mean? Right. I get, I get that they were trying to interweave it, and I understand why they did it, but I, I feel like they could have used a different catalyst to bring him to knock to knock him off the pedestal. Like, yeah, you know, he's looking for the the looking through the porn mags after he got them and everything, and then he sees an article or something. I just, I, I was way too, and it was like they were trying to give you some exposition, mm-hmm. and, but it didn't. It just didn't work well with me. That's well, like the, that, that's literally my only complaint about this movie. I think I think it, it was the cringeworthy moment, and like like we said, we needed the we needed the booby magazines um, there as the deter- the distraction ultimately um, for the cop when after they stole Edwin's body from the buns the and hospital. ammo buns and ammo. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> um, but I also think. Um, you saw not only did you see when he was in the car he saw the the um the book right the book advertisement um but i think you need he needed to see him and he also needed to see like the car they were driving in and they were i think they were headed to sedona or something like they that were, they were going to the wine country remember oh, he said wine we're going country. to wine country oh okay to a yeah nice, a wonderful little spa that he found yes would you even say that to your ex that's kind of no. that's kind of cruel. Yeah, that's very yeah. cruel. Yeah, you would. I mean, honestly, you you wouldn't say anything, right? You'd grab your stuff and you'd leave. Yeah, that's exactly. It, that, that, well, and I think that also probably puts the audience in the frame of mind is okay. He's better off, <laughs> better off without those probably, tricks, right? Yeah. So eventually, he'd be better off. You know. Yeah. But those and and the, it's funny because it went from. It could have been a problem when you when you established it at the dinner table where. Um, Olive asked Frank why his wrist are bandage, and of course. Um, Richard doesn't want to talk about it because he feels she's too young. Cheryl's like, okay, well, she's gonna learn eventually but when he starts talking about his and he says boyfriend and i was like boyfriend like that's silly and grandpa goes well that there's another word for it (laughs) so you think that okay there's going to be a problem between grandpa and frank because he doesn't you know approve or whatever but there did there send there tends to be like this respect that grows between them too which was a nice touch yeah well uh, yeah there was because he and he go uh go give me just give me some really what does he say here here's a 20 why don't you go get yourself a drink and get me some nudie magazines 
The really filthy ones. I like those. <laughs> I like the really filthy ones. The, just the, the horrible ones, he says. Go get yourself your own. <laughs> and, and, get, and, get, and if you want a fag rag, get one yourself. And you're like, what the fuck did he just say? What? Oh, my God. Um, yeah, that was where they. That was the scene where they left Olive. And mm. and they found out that the deal was gone down. So there was a lot of stuff that happened in that in that scene. A lot of stuff that happened in that scene. Right. But well, it's so funny because you know I I keep going back to the fact that you've got two distracted parents. Um. So Olive's routine, right? Which is the the little striptease, right? N- neither of them know because you know they're keeping it a secret or they're doing whatever. Um. Which is kind of very counterintuitive not counterintuitive just counter to what some of these stage moms do right because stage moms over direct and over if you've ever again seen videos like that from the whole toddlers and tiaras they're always in the back of the audience showing them what to do and and all that so the fact that you've got this different thing where you know olive is learning from grandpa and neither of them think to check you know that but they they don't think it's going to amount to anything. Right. I don't think either one of the parents, I don't think I'll, uh, Cheryl or Richard think that she's ever going gonna to amount to anything. Right. On that note, Edwin had to know, right? He had to know that that was inappropriate. You would think. He he had to know. Now, and that, and that is, again, my, that maybe maybe a, a, an early I have questions because mm. it's really the only question I have. Edwin is truly head over heels for Olive. his his granddaughter he loves yeah. her it's yeah. o- it's obvious how much he cares about her right why would he do that knowing it would put her in that position that it put her in i don't know that i mean it's a very good question maybe he sees nothing wrong with it because he's the kind of guy who's going to say what he's going to say and and do what he wants to do um i don't know maybe he doesn't think it's but yeah that's that's definitely yeah, knowing Grandpa for who he is, I would probably, as a parent, wonder what you know, at some point. But they're kind of all because um, dealing with you know because obviously the, there's bankruptcy coming into play. There's there's the fact that you know Mom's being the one that's kind of being leaned upon for for everything. Um, so who knows? That's a good. It's a good question though. Like. You you could actually you could say that the striptease was subtle until she did the thing where she ripped, she the, ripped pants the pants off, off of the velcro and, pants and threw them into the audience and yeah. when she was smacking her butt, uh, you know what I mean, <laughs> I, and crawling across the floor. Yeah. <laughs> you had to know that some shit was going to go down. And he's like, "Oh, you're the best." What does he say? Call it, you're the best growler in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you're a world class growler. All right, let's go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a a little a little much, <laughs> but it was funny. It looked like a fun. It looked like a lot of fun. Oh, of course, I, when the family yeah. got up there and started boogieing. Yeah, so I think, um, I think you know, there's a bucket list thing. Just get on stage. And oh yeah, boogie your ass. Well, off. they look. They did look like they're having a good time, and I think that obviously, no, no, think that's was his way of showing the family that they actually cared about each other, even though they knew whatever. Right, solidarity. Um. <laughs> Apparently, Greg Kinnear is extremely self-conscious of his dancing because his wife, at one point, made jokes about his dancing at their wedding. Oh, really? Um, 
he didn't want to do the scene. And after they did the scene, he begged them to edit out his... His dancing? His dancing. <laughs> and they told him no. <laughs> Obviously, it's because we saw him dancing. <laughs> I thought it was great the way every the way the adults that were a part of the show, except for the the crotchety old woman mm-hmm. who was running it, loved the whole thing. The yeah. mothers the mothers didn't like it, but like the the woman that was walking Olive backstage, yeah, she enjoyed the hell out of it. She enjoyed the hell of it. Miss California was getting she, down. She was absolutely tearing it up. <laughs> Shake uh, that was She was like, Yeah, yeah. Um one of the other things, because I mentioned um, some of the influences on on this, um, the directors uh, also drew upon a documentary um, from 1973 called An American Family, which is kind of um, early, kind of an early inspiration for like reality TV kind of thing. Um, so that's that's something as well. Um, and it basically in this documentary it was a real life family um but it they were cast they were cast in a very um harsh light so they kind of looked at this as well you know it's like a lot of these individuals in the family weren't exactly ideal but you still ended up loving them in the end you know grandpa especially um apparently the character of Dwayne was supposed to be uh, was written as a mohawked beefcake kind of character. Yes, he was supposed to have a mohawk to begin with. Yeah. Um, well, I can see why the beefcake thing, because of the the him, you know, putting in the effort to work out at the beginning mm-hmm. so that he was in good shape. Yeah. yeah so, um, but as soon as uh, Dano uh, had auditioned, they knew they were going to do him. So, the uh, what they what did they say um one of the directors said his mohawk was a feeling and not an external statement so that's how they they looked at it they did use real uh beauty pageant contestants and they did yes Uh, um in fact the the entire end most of that was uh provided by the costumes and everything and those were actually the acts Mm -hmm. that those little girls did in their contestants most of that everything in that final Mm-hmm. The, in the third act there was provided by those people that were yeah. actual contestants. Um, one of the things that I learned or, or found out about this movie when I was doing the research is something that really, and I, we talk about it on the other podcast quite a bit, is something that really pisses me off about Hollywood. Okay. If And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put into a sports light because I know sports really well. If I hire a guy to coach my football team mm-hmm. um, and he's on the sideline coaching a football team, I've hired him to coach the football team. I don't need to call him every five minutes and go, hey, I want you to run a sweep to the left. <laughs> right? Why does Hollywood and these dill holes constantly get a hold of something like this script and go, we love it. We want to do it. And then go, okay, but we're going to change this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. You, 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 paid, you paid this guy to, to do this and then you're paying the director to do this. Mm-hmm. Leave it alone. There was a point where they uh, uh, the the producer bought the script for two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. It went they they did um, uh, there was only one company that was interested in doing the movie after they saw the script or what you know stuff like that. They brought in they fired the writer 
They fired the writer and hired another writer in, and they paid this guy for six weeks to rewrite the script until he eventually quit, and then they had to rehire the original writer. If you liked the script so much that you were willing to pay money to, to make this movie, why are you firing the writer? Yeah. That's like buying a car and going, I really like this car, but I got to get rid of that engine. What? What? Well, it's, I th- it's stupid. I think that what well, this was his first, sc- you know, sc- screen mm-hmm. um, screenwriting job. He, before that, he was a um, he was an assistant to Matthew Broderick. Yes, he was, and he quit. He, he yeah. quit that job to to write the script. But my my point is, is that you've seen the product. Yeah, you liked the product. Okay, I'm going to buy it so that I can completely dismantle it and change it. Then wh- why didn't you just make your own product? Well, it had gone through a very long time, and finally it was, you know, the uh, producer decided that independently he was going to finance it. And it got, it got bought by a studio, and I can't remember the studio, and then they went through this whole thing where they had to, to change the writer. There was argument about who was going to be cast in it. Then, the, then, then there was a management change at that studio that then forced, that then said, hey, you know, this guy was a dipshit, obviously, which is why he's gone. Um, let's bring the original writer back in. And the producer then rebought the script for 400000 So mm-hmm. he paid 250000 then 400000 and then said he was going to put up the $8 million, which was the budget, to film it. Right. And that's, but it took, him, it took him five years to put this together, which when you get right down to it, if you had made this movie immediately, Steve Carell wouldn't have been in it. Right, because there was pushback when they made it about Carell being the lead, because because, which is weird. He's the lead character. Mm-hmm. What? How is you know what I mean? Because it's that's like saying Monica is the lead character in Friends. It's like you know you know you right. know in an ensemble. Yeah, yeah. But it, it would have been it would have been different. Now would they have gotten Bill Murray? I don't know. Probably you, not. Eh. Bill Bill Murray likes to do this type of stuff, but that would have been to two thousand. It would have been a different movie. It would have been a completely different movie. So sometimes things happen for a reason, mm-hmm. and it's good that it happened that way. But it just, it, it, you know what? It grinds my gears that these guys <laughs> get a hold of something like that. And then the first thing they want to do is like, well, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. We're going to change it. We're going to do this. We're going to make this. So then why didn't it just, but it's, it, it, I, it's a, a travesty to me because how many movies are this good that get screwed up by some, dickhead in an office going oh i know better than you because i'm the boss you know what i mean this, right because this movie is like like we said damn near perfect and they tried to change it i don't i don't get it so right yeah. right that's my rant for the week that's your rant yeah. we got it we got yeah. it it's in the can yeah <laughs> you got anything else um this movie was uh ended up with a huge bidding war at Sundance. Yep. Yep. It set the it set the record. Um, um, doggone it! I read it. Uh, <laughs> it was ten. It got ten and a half million dollars. Yeah. Um, the day after it showed at Sundance, mm-hmm. it, there was another movie that had gotten ten million, uh, and the year before, Hustle and Flow had gotten nine and a half million. What was the other movie? Uh, that bugs me. I got to start writing this stuff down, I guess. <laughs> but it, um, it's it, it's been broken since. But it went nine and a half million to Hustle and Flow, ten million to that other movie, and then ten and a half million to this. And um, it was Fox Searchlight, I think, that ended up paying the ten and a half million. Yeah. And they got their money back. 
Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. oh, excuse me. It was ten and a half million plus ten percent of the residuals. So, pretty solid. You want to do box office on that note? Yeah, you can do box okay. office. So it was they they paid the ten and a half million for it, and it launched on July twenty sixth, um, which is. Obviously, prime movie time in the in, mm-hmm. in, in the country, but not that's not the type of movie that you would expect to be a summer movie. It launched in th- two hundred, not very many theaters, and it averaged per screen the highest its opening weekend. Hmm. And the next week, it went out. It never, it was never in more than sixteen hundred and two theaters. But it made fifty nine million dollars, fifty nine, fifty nine million four hundred eighty nine thousand domestically. It was in the top ten movies for eleven weeks in the summer. Wow, that's pretty impressive. In the summertime, wow. It made over a hundred million dollars worldwide. It also made forty nine million dollars uh, when the DVDs released. Uh, and it's no, no, uh, yeah. And they said it made like almost a hundred something million dollars through rentals. Because 2006, you still have Blockbuster and stuff. So it was very successful. Very successful. It was uh, the number one movie that year was uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 2 with Dead Man's Chest. Uh, it was just behind the bench warmers. <laughs> um, you can't count that. But it, but it, but it beat Curious George. So, mm-hmm. you know, there you go. <laughs> but it got beat by Big Mama's House too. So, oh, no. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, I mean, Good, good move by by Fox, Searchlight, but it was very well received, obviously, and um, you know it won two Oscars. It won Best Screenplay and it won Best Supporting Actor. Right for Alan Arkin. Yeah, so you know, good for them. Yeah. yeah. So, so I don't, I don't have any questions. I don't. The question yeah. that I had, I asked, was, was about was Grandpa. It? Yeah. And, and so, and, and we both know that the reason that he did that was because that's your comedic ending, right? And it's also. It's also about showing the hypocrisy about how right. we can do what we want to do with all these other girls because they're primp because they're primp and proper, even though let's be honest, they're dressed up like prostitutes. Right. But if a little you got, girl, you yeah, got a, little, a six-year-old in yeah. a bikini with a fake tan. Yeah. Um, and that's some considered appropriate, but you know exactly. Yeah. So it definitely yeah, puts the spotlight on on what this pageant is really doing. Right. So. So um, I want you to do your three favorite moments first because I have five. And oh. <laughs> if you have any of mine, I'm going to take them off. But okay. if you don't, I'm going to do all five all because right. I thought they were all, all right. very, very good. Um, okay, so before Olive starts her dance, um, she asked um, the MC if she could have the microphone and she said that she wanted to dedicate her performance to her grandpa. And he's like, oh, who helped me, who taught me these dance moves. He taught me these moves. And the MC's like, oh, that's sweet. Where's your grandpa now? He's in our trunk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one of mine just went away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this part was small, but absolutely hysterical. You have the scene where um, Frank and Dwayne need to get away so they go to the pier and they have the discussion and they decide that they need to get back and you see them in the hotel and they walk into the ballroom where this thing's being take 
taken place and you open the door and you can hear somebody's music playing and they walk in and about two seconds later they have to walk out yes. because they can't deal with it <laughs> yeah they've been gone they've been gone for like an hour and a half and they came back and they were able to suffer two and a half seconds yeah, yeah I, that was that was really good um i just think the dinner table scene in and of itself is just it's uncomfortable it's entertaining it's but this especially the whole back and forth before dinner even starts between um uh between Dwayne and, and Frank and there's actually um I think they they cut part of that scene out where he's having this conversation about why he doesn't talk um and he said well don't you have any friends and he kind of shakes his head no and 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 Frank uh Frank goes well why and he writes down i hate everybody and he's like well even you know what about your family and he underlines everybody um the part they don't that they cut out of the movie is he's like well what about me and he flips the page and he writes something and he shows him i haven't decided yet <laughs> oh. why would they not have that in the movie See, i don't who, know why, who would who would make that cut i don't know 30 seconds you, you yeah you've, you're upset oh my but this whole thing, I think it sets it sets the tone. That whole interaction between them that kind of sets the tone that these two are going to be, you know. It was a really great way to get exposition that mm-hmm. didn't make you feel like you were getting exposition. Yeah, I I, I like this it. whole. Plus, there was fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that the uh, how they 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 did a really good job of of where they if they didn't have to express it with words that they didn't have, you know. Yeah, the, it was very. It was done very well. Um, the whole show, don't tell. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I have to add one here real quick too. Okay. So. Uh, my number five, and even though there was, it was supposed to be three, uh, we're going to get five here because I just thought there was was when she was doing the striptease and the two women that run the run the show were all a, a, just a oh my god, but yeah. Miss California was actually like she danced, not ready to throw was, dollar bills. She I was mean, into it. Was, it, yeah. it was so freaking funny. Um, I loved the scene. After Richard found out that he didn't get his book deal, and Edwin walks up to the front of the van, yeah, and tells him that, that was yeah that took some balls because yeah. it was almost like there wasn't even a real father son relationship there. You know what I mean? Like right. they kind of hated each other, but you know he told him you 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 know what you you put your heart into something and and that's something that even I wouldn't have been able to do and blah blah blah. I thought, and then they kind of held hands. Yeah, and that was pretty cool. Um, the piercing. Mm-hmm. with Frank and Dwayne was that was kind of the climax of the movie in my opinion right just because you saw the two guys that were most emotionally fucked up kind of realize that they were emotionally fucked up and they're emotionally fucked up of their own of their own fault mm. you know hey okay so your boyfriend left you get over it let's move on you got a, a whole life to live and Really, you're angry about being in high school. This is what's going to make you who you are, and you're going to get to be. So that was pretty, right. pretty, pretty good scene. Right. I loved when Olive consoled Dwayne. That was sweet. It yeah. was. She didn't even say anything. I'm kind of tearing up now. I'm such a bitch. <laughs> okay, but my absolute favorite scene in this movie was the first time that they were pushing that damn van, and. <laughs> Edwin had run and got in the van and Steve Carell was trying to get there and he screams at him, run, you stupid bastard. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> what does being dumb have to do with the fact that you can't catch up to the van? It was, and it was like he was trying to motivate him, and he run, you stupid bastard. Like, well, you have- like he wasn't already running. There's two other things I want to add to that because. Steve Carell's run in this is a very academic oh, run, so right? It's very yes. like he's his arms are like, you know, very straight. And it's like, OK, this is how you're supposed to run, right? You're supposed to move your arms and stuff like that. Um, but also, you know, you get another um, one of these insights in, into Dwayne where Dwayne is obviously a little bit stronger. So he gets behind Frank and kind of takes his hand and pushes him yeah, along yeah. Um, to get, make sure he gets in. So it's it's. Again, it's just everything in this movie's got I hate something to it that that you you feel like all right, you know. The guy that hates everybody was still a team player about getting his his yeah. uncle in the van. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, yeah, exactly. So, but you run, you stupid bastard! <laughs> just, I I think I laughed at that for like five minutes. I just kept laughing. <sighs> well, Arkin has a way about him where he's just so entertaining. And I mean, even. Was it the Santa Claus three? Santa Claus three, where he's the father. <laughs> yeah. Well, name name a movie that you've seen Alan Arkin in that you didn't like him. That's true. Even the movie again, he's one of those guys that even if the movie is garbage, you enjoy watching him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Donald Sutherland would not have pulled that off for me. I mean, I like Donald Sutherland, but Donald Sutherland's creepy to me. He can be. I, yes. I, I mean, he's a great actor. He's a great actor, but he just has that air about him that you're like, man, this guy's weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, I'm. Yes, I would watch. You this would again. watch this again. I think that that that's that's plain as day. Um, and then I guess, um, you don't know what because I was like, honey, what should I watch next? Yeah. And you don't know. Well, when are we going to start horror movies? I think well, we probably ought to start horror movies soon. Um, we are almost through September. At the time of recording, um, we'll probably be already to the end of September by the time this gets released. Yeah. But no pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. I don't know that there's any horror movies that I've seen that you haven't that I would want you to see. So this this is thinking about it. Yeah, this is hard. I would I would sing the Jeopardy theme song, but I believe that is copyrighted. So I'm just going to try to fill some dead air by... Comedy or action? Hmm. I'm going to go with action. Okay. Just to shake things up a little bit. Okay. Then we'll do... Um, it's not a horror movie, but it's creep. it's got some creepy moments. Let's do The Road Warrior. The Road Warrior. Yeah, Mad Max Road Warrior. Ooh, creepy, yeah. Have you seen that one? No, but I think I know what you mean by creepy. Just walk away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then and then we can kick off we'll kick off the horror after that. How's that sound? That sounds great to me. Right. Or we could do a horror movie now and watch Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> and you've been threatening. <laughs> asking. The word is asking. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we have reached another end of another episode um thank you for listening if you've made it this far through um we are 
on social media at Honey Watch This on Twitter and Instagram. Um, we are available on uh, just about anywhere where you can get podcasts if you'd like to listen uh, further and subscribe. Uh, if you'd like to see a list of all of our episodes, you can go to honeyyoushouldwatchthis.podbean.com. Um, and uh, is there anywhere they can find you? Um, you have another podcast, so... Yes, uh, it, baby. top five for fighting. If you decide you'd like to listen to that, it's um, it's a little more off the rails than this one. Um, it's much more broier than this one. Well, yeah, it's it's um, you know, it's a we we talk movies and sports and and kind of whatever hits us. It's two guys that talk about just stuff, whatever we want. We have a top five list at the end of every episode. Guys and stuff. Yep. Uh, honestly, I have no idea what our top five list is for this week yet. So well, there you go. You'll probably be behind yeah, this. Yes, most likely. Anyway. Um, um, don't bother with Twitter and Facebook because I don't post enough to matter. So, No, I'm trying to, to post more. I'm, st- I'm still behind because uh, we've already um, launched our Attack of the Killer Donuts and I still haven't posted what I said, said I was going to post. So I got to go back and gotcha. do that. So it's just been crazy. It's just been a crazy year. Yes, it has. So Very odd. Sorry, no excuses. That's right. Anyway. Okay. So, uh, yes, if uh, if you like what you are listening, please subscribe um, anywhere that you can, again, anywhere you can uh, listen to us on podcasts. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, please do us a fave and uh, rate and review. That helps people find us. And uh, I think that's it. That's so it. next week we are doing Mad Max Road Warrior. Yes. Woohoo. Yeah. Sound a little I more look convincing. excited, don't I? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Fine. Ernest, it is. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Have a nice week. Bye. Bye.